Welcome to the We Rock DM Podcast, your source for all things digital marketing. Join hosts Daniel Bissett and Trisha Olberg as they explore the latest trends and share their expertise on how to succeed in the digital age. Tune in for expert advice on search engine optimization, social media marketing, and content strategy. We make kick-ass stuff kick-ass. So join us and learn how to rock your digital marketing game. Hello and welcome back to uh, We Rock DM Amplified, the podcast where we dive into the world of digital marketing with the movers and shakers shaping the industry. I'm your host, Daniel Bissett, alongside my co-host, Trisha Elizabeth Olberg. And today we're excited to introduce a very special guest. Joining us is April White, the innovative force and CEO of Trust Relations, a strategic communications agency that's redefining the PR landscape. April's journey in public relations is as diverse as it is impressive, having worked with top-tier agencies and a host of marquee brands. Her approach blends strategic messaging with creative storytelling, setting her apart in an industry that's constantly evolving. From TEDx stages to the halls of Forbes and Newsweek, April's insights have influenced many, and today she's here to share her unique perspective with us. We'll explore the intricacies of trust relations, the importance of authentic communication in today's digital world, and the secrets behind her award-winning strategies. So get ready for an episode filled with invaluable insights. Whether you're a marketing veteran or just starting out, there's something in this conversation for everyone. Let's jump in and learn how to rock our digital marketing efforts with April White. April, welcome to We Rock DM amplified. Thank you. That was such a flattering intro. I think I need to have you rewrite my bio. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, NGL here, chat GPT hooked me up. You know, I, I just took your, (laughs) I just took your bio from LinkedIn, populated it and said, Hey chat, write me a new intro for our latest podcast guest. And, uh, that's what chat came up with. So, I mean, um, I, I'm very flattered that my chat GPT (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it speaks the truth, right? So, so April, welcome. Um, you and Trisha met recently in New York at uh, at, at American Business Awards Gala. Um, fantastic! Congratulations. But before we dive into uh, all of your accolades, I'd really like you to just kind of tell us the TLDR of April White. Who are you? Where'd you come from? How'd you get here? So I actually grew up in Iowa and I decided early on I wanted to be a writer. My parents being very Midwestern said, that's great, but why don't you do a degree in something we know you can make money at? And so they sort of shifted me from wanting to be a screenplay writer into being a journalist. Um, I realized very early on in my journalism career that I was not the right personality fit for that profession. Because in order to be a very good journalist, you have to have really thick skin and not care about what anybody that you're interviewing thinks of you or what you write. And I did not have that quality. I'm much too much of a people pleaser. So about two years into it, I'm like, I think I need to be in PR <laughs> because then I can, I'm, I'm advocating for one side of the story instead of trying to tell two. I can at least make one side of the story happy. And quite frankly, it paid a lot better. And I was already kind of reading the writing on the wall of where journalism was going in terms of compensation and and sort of stability, right? So I thought, okay, well, this is a good moment for me to make the shift. So I did that, then decided I need to go to the city where 
PR is actually, you know, at the top of its game because I want to be the best I can be at this. So I got a job in New York City from Iowa. That was a whole story in and of itself, but that would take a whole other 15 minutes. Um, ended up getting my first PR job in, in New York City, Nubentee, New York. Um, worked my way up the PR ladder in New York City. And eventually, over time, it was kind of funny because I had this thing in my head being Midwestern. I don't know if any Anybody can relate to this being from, you know, somewhere in the middle of the country, but it was like, I'm going to go to New York where the smartest and the best of the best are going to be. And I'm going to just be like this tiny fish in this giant sea and everyone's going to, you know, be running laps around me. But when I got there, what I discovered was there were a lot of things in the industry that I was befuddled by. I was like, this is the best we have to offer. I can't believe that. Right. And so over time, I accumulated more and more of these thoughts. And then it was like, okay, I think I need to go out and create the thing I wish existed rather than kind of complaining about what I wish would be different. And that's what I did. So fast forward um, multiple years, I ended up founding Trust Relations because I saw all these different pain points in the industry that I wanted to address both as a culture internally um, and also in terms of client services. So there's a whole host of things that we're doing differently. And um, that's partly where the you know, in a, you know, most innovative woman of the year from last year at the Stevies and then Maverick of the year awards came from this year because I am kind of just turning the whole paradigm, like the whole PR paradigm on its head and deciding like, this is what it's supposed to look like. Um, so I'm, I guess in essence, I've accidentally tried to reinvent the PR agency world um, because I didn't like my experience there. <laughs> I think that's why a lot of us do that, right? Yeah. That's the perfect reason to do that. And I remember us talking, trying to talk about this at the Stevie's. It was so very loud. loud. Um, April and I were sitting next to each other at the awards table and um, we were trying, you know, we we're trying to network and talk to each other. And I remember you telling me that, that, that um, you had won an award because you were trying to make a, you created a PR firm that was different than other PR firms, right? Yes. So I would love to hear more, a little bit more about that. So what makes you different? What are the pain points that you address? So there are a firm? number of things. Um, so so one of the things that, that really irked me was just kind of the culture in general was very toxic and backbiting. It always felt like crabs in a bucket where everyone's trying to climb on each other to drag the other one down to get to the top. So there's a lot of that and just not a good feeling of, um, in general, there's a lot of sort of like, pushing down on people below to do the work. So the more senior people got, then the more they would sort of just dump. Like it wasn't, it wasn't delegating, it was dumping, right? So there was this feeling of like, okay, the junior people just have to do everything. So then what happened is junior people are leading accounts. They have no business leading. The senior people have gotten reallocated to just business development so they come in for the pitches, they bring in the clients, and then they vanish because they have to keep bringing in new clients. But you don't actually then have those senior practitioners leading the work. Um, there were also weird things around retainers. So, you know, PR retainers are very expensive. Um, and I think the, the average, you know, entry-level PR retainer now is $12,000 a month. So it's not, you know, it, it, but what I didn't understand was we'd have some clients, you know, it's like, okay, so Sotheby's International Realty and they're paying 12 a month. And then there's MetLife International and they're paying 20 a month. I'm making these up. I don't remember now the retainer numbers, but it was like something like that. But then in practice, I, as a practitioner leading both accounts, didn't know 
where why one was higher than the other because the output was the same. And so it was like, just like, oh, we just charge them what we think they'll pay. Is that what this is? Like, I don't understand what that is. So there was no, the work was not commensurate with the budget is the easiest way to put that. Um, so that also bothered me because I didn't understand why some people were paying more than other people and then why they're not getting more money, you know, more for their money. Right. That didn't make sense to me. Um, so there was that. And then also just kind of an overarching issue with inclusivity that was not intentional, but was just baked into the culture. And so there was a lot of this sort of like a lot of agencies where everybody that worked there kind of looked like they showed up for central casting for the same role. Right. Like they all kind of had this. They looked alike. They talk alike. Sometimes they even act alike. It was like same outfit all, you know, and it was like you had to look at the it was kind of like an agency uniform that was expected. And if you didn't fit in then you know, and that in general just doesn't it doesn't it's not conducive to, to inclusivity. Right. Because what I have now is an agency with, you know, some people like tattooed up and tongue rings and some people are like super prim and proper moms and some people who are and all different skin tones and all different sexualities and all different, you know, religions and like all different political viewpoints. Right. And that's what I want. I don't want it to be everybody has to kind of fit some mold. Right. I think it's you don't better. want to be cookie cutter. No. And I want the diversity of thought that comes with that because, because from a storytelling perspective, you know, a prim and proper mom from the Midwest is going to have a very different perspective on a certain product that they're pitching to the press versus like, you know, my, my fashion model out in New York city who does like fit modeling on the side, which is a real thing I have. (laughs) So it's like, it's like, that's, you know, I mean, that's just a very different perspective and has nothing necessarily to do um, with the, you know, the, the typical diversity as you see it, but it's that diversity of like perspective of thought. And I think that that's well, really important. Also, if you're reaching out to the public, the public is not all the same single individual. No. Right? So, um, no. You, and the media is all different. To... They have different yeah. angles. Like it's so diverse. So, um, yeah. So, so one of the things I did at the outset was just made us virtual so that we weren't making clients pay for a fancy office space in New York and LA and San Francisco or whatever it is, because I think at the end of the day, the reason that they can't afford to have senior practitioners on the accounts is because they're paying too much for office space. So why do that? Overhead. We don't need overhead, right? There's no reason. What, yeah. These people are talking to individual reporters via text, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter, phone, email, whatever they're doing in person, right? But like, it, it's not about sitting next to other people who are also doing that this isn't it's not very helpful and you, you can always have a zoom call if you need to get on the same page about something or a brainstorm or you can just like send out a blast email to the whole agency hey does anybody have a great contact to forbes because i'm striking out on this pitch like anybody that you guys can think of right so i mean there's no reason that you have to be and in fact if you were sitting in a room when i've done that before at an agency it's actually very distracting because then everybody's talking to each other hey does anybody know like has anybody heard back from like you know marjorie at like you know buzzfeed or what i was like you're interrupting me i was just thinking now it takes 15 minutes to reset my brain to get back onto focusing whatever i want so i just cut that out so i cut that out and i decided also that that then we could staff people from across the country um, I also did a hybrid approach. So I have some full-time people, but some freelance people. And the reason for that is because I want experts who are qualified to work on that account, on that account and not just, okay, we have somebody with capacity. They don't really have the right experience, but we're going to smash it together and hope that it tastes fine. And it's like, no, it's, that's not, 
that's not how this should be done. You should find the qualified expert for each thing. And maybe I don't have 40 hours of work for somebody that's super senior or crypto or right. I don't, mm-hmm. so I don't need to hire that person full time. Cause that's and that person for- probably doesn't want a 40 hour gig. They probably want like oh. 15 or 12. Right. So I why, mean, most of those people him- are happiest being freelancers. Yeah. yeah. Um, because they also bounce out of the industry for similar, out of the, you know, agency world for similar reasons. And they're Mm -hmm. like, no, 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 I'm on my own. This is, you know, I'm afraid to ever be in another committed agency relationship, right? (laughs) Like like a lot of these people. So, um, so instead of letting, you know, it's, it's kind of a win-win because then they have an agency that's teeing up work for them and coming to them with a professional structure. And we've got, you know, fully built out teams and, and it's like we treat them like their family, so they still get gifts on their birthdays and invited to our holiday parties and invited to our all agency retreats. So nobody that's freelance is ever treated as anything less than a part of the family, you know. And I know it's sort of taboo now the family thing at work, but um, but they are you know they are added in as part of the. They are not treated differently. Part you know, of the band. The fact that, yeah, they're part of the band. You know, maybe they didn't get like, yeah, that's a better way of saying (laughs) maybe they don't. I mean, if they take days off, they don't get paid for it because of freelancing. But like, that's the only, literally the only. Hello. That's why we're freelancing. Right. Yeah. So I don't want to work today, so I'm not going to work. Exactly. A hundred percent. You can do that. And they love it, you know, and some of them, some of them want to be, you know, freelance because they would even, I've, I've approached some of them to to be full time. And some of them are like, I I prefer doing my own thing because then I can. Yeah. I'm not on your schedule or anybody mm-hmm. else's schedule. I have kids or I have, I have to take care of my elderly yeah. parents or I'm or a, I have a surf, I have a surf trip up, you know, coming up. I have, some, I have some people and, uh, who have like other businesses they're trying to get off the ground, like, you know, tea yeah, companies yeah. and I mean, whatever, like whatever they're doing and that's fine. That's yeah. really fine. So yeah. what I'm, what I'm hearing is um, you, part of your value prop, your key differentiators is you went virtual. So, you know, you could reduce the overhead and therefore not necessarily reduce what the clients are paying, but what they're receiving for that. Yeah. The value is a lot higher. The value. Um, Although our, our monthly retainers are lower than the average. Um, Okay. And we're doing that part. Yeah. To to help people that are not ready for 12 a month, you know, to, to get off the ground and grow with them. And so you also threw pickles in the cookie jar um, by <laughs> diversifying, right? You're like, it's a jar. I could put anything in this jar. It doesn't have to be yeah. rigging cookies all the time. It can be a pickle, whatever. Yes. Maybe some mayonnaise later. It's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah. That sounds so gross, but yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, you <laughs> the know, point is but so it works, but it works, <laughs> right? And um, you're not you you're not stuck on a, a nine to five regime uh, with expectations. I mean, you have expectations clearly of of everyone that that comes to work for you. Um, you probably have, from what I can tell, very high expectations. <laughs> but but because because you're providing the freedom and flexibility, you're probably re- delighted with you know the results rather than being a little disgruntled which is 100%. A, a much more likely outcome in the agency, you know, the, yeah. the statistical agency kind of status quo. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot lower turnover because so, of the way that, you know, we're the culture and the way we staff things. 
I, I don't mean for this to get political. Is it political? <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. Let's, I, um, but I mean, I'm, but I, I'm going there. I'm, I'm ready um, to tap dance. Let's do it. The uh, <laughs> y'all y'all met at at a gala celebrating women in business. Yes, we did. Right? Yes. Did did that bad taste in your mouth when you were up in New York City come from white men? <laughs> Ooh, that's you know, a loaded question. It's a loaded Daniel. question, and I can tell you, I can tell you no. I can okay. tell you no. Um, in fact, the worst experience I had in the agency was that uh, a group that was run by two women, right. and they were me too. The toxicity of, <laughs> yeah. of that group far ex- far surpassed any other thing I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was okay. like it was like if you took Mean Girls and The Devil Wears Prada. And you put together a movie about PR that, that whatever you're picturing is what happened. <laughs> I had, right. I had a very similar experience. I got called um, the C word. Oh goodness. By a woman. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Women, women can be really, we should be, you would think that women would be supporting each other. And very often we are. Um, but, but for sure, the times I have not felt supported have been, by other women. <laughs> um, I agree. I agree. And I, I even told Daniel, um, I'm, I love having a male business partner. I <laughs> mean, um, Daniel's really great about, um, you know, supporting women, but no, yeah. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And, it, and, yeah, and we, I mean, did it maybe start at the hand of privileged white men who created a culture that then everyone existed inside of and females trying to, you know, survive slash yeah assimilate and and you know even surpass and you know because maybe you know that's Mm -hmm. that's very possible i'm not trying to say that they're you know all privileged white men are great that's not like that's not that's (laughs) i'm not trying to say that but i'm also trying to just be honest that i mean i don't you know maybe the maybe the gender created uh you know sort of the landscape but Within yeah. that landscape, there were monsters of all genders. All sure. Right. Yeah. I, I do feel, though, we as women, we have, and it's so funny, I was just talking to my sister about this last night. We were talking about the Women in Business Awards. And you know what she asked me? She's like, is there a Men in Business Award? That's funny. Like, no, there's not. <laughs> we're, we're, we are a mi- minority. I, we're not minority. What are we? we I mean, we're considered a minority, which I... I in business. Yeah, I I still it's very funny. I um I recently did a a women in business panel and every other woman there had some sort of, you know, very like intense dramatic story about how difficult it was for them to be a woman in business. Yeah. And the interesting thing is I grew up kind of as a tomboy and never identified as being anything lesser than the boys. I mean, I was, I was really, I'm still tall, but I was really tall, young. And I used to play basketball at recess and stuff all the boys and play tetherball and like swing it over their head. Like I never had, I never, I just never accepted that I was like this weak girl. that wouldn't, wasn't able to do anything the boys did. So there was never a moment in my sort of history where that, that got shook. Yeah. Yeah. 
And yeah. so I still don't think I, when people say, Oh, it's so cool that you're like a business owner as a woman. And I'm like, it's a weird thing to say. Like, what, like, what, yeah. what do you mean? Why, like, why do you need to qualify why? it with the, <laughs> the right. prepositional like, phrase at the end? It's like, I don't like really... identify as like having like fewer opportunities. I've just always right. bulldozed my way to the top. You've always I don't just know. kicked out. <laughs> You've just been like, screw this. But I'm I gonna, mean, I'm going to do it my way. It's a masculine trait, though, right? So, so that's and fair. It, we're talking about years and years of history where um, we didn't really have the opportunities we do now, right? Yeah. And so there is some relearning to be done there, and um, I do feel like we have to defend ourselves more often. Something my sister and I were talking about is how um, if men, you know, men don't ever have to defend, um, you know, their choice to be working uh, their career and how that maybe takes away from the family a little bit Mm -hmm. um, because people think, oh, well, men are working to support their families. But if women do that, we will get very often accused by other women of not prioritizing family because we have a career. This happens to women, but not to men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So I feel like that there's a lot of, um, of that just years and years of that, um, that we have to, um, you know, that that's part of why it's, it's, we have to defend ourselves a little bit more than men do. Yeah. <laughs> so, speaking right, of yeah. retraining, <laughs> retraining, I'm, I totally derailed our conversation. So I want to bring us back <laughs> on track if at all possible. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for exploring that. Question. I felt like we were just going down the you know I mean, the track. I don't know. Do I don't this. know where we let's do this rabbit hole. Well, I want I I really want to talk about PR and branding um, yes. because you know we've taught Trisha and I have been uh, teachers of digital marketing boot camps for University of Texas Macomb School of Business for three plus years now, um, and there's a key component about branding um, and brand identity and brand voice and, and all the things, but we don't touch on PR at all. Oh, interesting. I I think, I think that there's overlap, you know, I think that there's overlap, but I really want to tease out and unpack what PR is and how important it is in and of itself because you know we go out and we sell digital marketing we we do digital marketing it's all digital marketing and then somebody wants to uh print something in a newspaper and we're all panic we're like wait you want hard media (laughs) what is why why do you want to do that so i want to i really want to explore how they complement each other um, and what it is that we as digital marketers really should be uh, pitching out to PR agencies mm-hmm. like yourselves um, instead of trying to tackle it ourselves. Right. Okay. So can, can well, we go that, that let's direction? Let's do it. Let's do it. So in the spirit of you guys being professor, professorial, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to lay the landwork like PR 101. And where it fits inside the marketing mix. So I'm sure everybody listening knows that there are three buckets within marketing, right? There's paid, there's owned, and there's earned. Mm -hmm. The paid media is obviously your advertising. 
um, and digital marketing, et cetera. Your own channels are the things you own. So your website, your social media channels, your blog, things like that, where you could just say whatever you want about yourself. So in those two buckets, you get to say whatever you want about yourself. And I mean, obviously in advertising, if you say things, you, you can get, you know, in trouble with sure. regulatory well, bodies, false, et cetera. Uh, right? You can't false yeah. advertising. You cannot do You can say whatever you want, but you can say more or less whatever you want within legal and regulatory yeah. confines, right? Um, right? Same thing with your own channels. But everybody knows that you own those channels or you pay for it. So it's like, okay, it's kind of like when people are on Instagram, they're like, look how hot I am. I'm so hot. I'm so fabulous. And you're like, I mean, you're saying that, right? It's like, I mean, you kind of are, right? <laughs> it's like different than <laughs> if the, uh-huh. on the earned channels, that's yeah. where you've earned the media through your actual credibility, what you're actually doing, what you actually have to say that sets you apart as a thought leader, as a brand, as whatever, right? And this is where, this is the only part of marketing where you can build your credibility. Everything else you're patting yourself on the back. But PR, it's like, oh, he was on the top 10, you know, GQ's top 10 most eligible bachelor list. He must be hot AF, right? And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Like, that's different than the guy being like, look at my pics. And you're like, Ugh. right? So it's like, <laughs> that's a very crass example, but this happens all the time. And so if you get, the cool thing is when you get PR, it should feed back into the own and the paid channels so you should then repurpose the placements you got and if you're targeting i don't know um let's say you get an uh, an article in in essence magazine and you're you're struggling to reach people that are 18 to 24 bipoc right and you're like cool i'm gonna repurpose this retarget this in advertising format on digital you know digital channels um, and make sure that everybody in that category that we're trying to reach sees the article in essence and, you know, voila, right? So it's like it infiltrates your owned and your paid media with a level of credibility you don't get otherwise. So then on your social media, it's like, you know, hey, I'm so flattered and so honored that I won this award or that this art, I was included in this article. Or I was like invited to speak on this podcast, right? And then it right. doesn't look so much like, look at me, look at me, look at me. It's like, oh, wow, somebody else said that. And then you get to look humble. <laughs> right, right. Right? You get to so, feign. Yeah. So, oh. so at the end of the day, I mean, where I really see PR playing a role in the modern marketing landscape, because it, it used to be more about how do we persuade public opinion and, you know, relating to the public and all of that. And that's, it's slightly shifted, which is actually why I coined the term trust relations and named my agency that. Um, because I think it's now a trust relations and in it is where a server or two servers have decided to share information. They trust each other. And this Mm -hmm. is what this is now, right? This is not like the brand preaching from on high and the mountain down to the lowly people. That's the audience. No, the audience has just as lot of a voice now, thanks to social media. So now it is a two way communication and it should continue to be that. Um, and I think that that's really where it's gone instead of this idea of like, what does the public think of us? And let's make them, let's spin the truth. So they think whatever they want, that doesn't work anymore. So what brands have to do now is actually do something credible 
say something interesting, create something actually innovative and new, and then they're rewarded for doing the actual work through earned media that recognizes it, and then they can amplify those things. But it's not, it doesn't work anymore to just kind of do the smoke and mirrors like David Copperfield, David Blaine saying, and make people think something about you that's not true. There's just, they, you have to have the proof points. You have to substantiate the claims. You have to actually, you know, have the rubber meet the road in whatever direction you're trying to point your message in. And so that's where we are now with PR. Um, but within the PR mix, just to kind of paint the picture. So that's, it's not just the earned media, meaning getting in news articles, getting interviews on podcasts, getting interviews on TV. Um, it's also award submissions. It's also thought leadership related things. So, you know, talking head related things, doing contributed article, writing contributed articles that get published in publications. Um, and it's also about speaking engagements. So all of those things, again, kind of feed back to that credibility building piece. So in my mind, you know, and there, yes, have the lines been blurred a bit between the paid and the earned 100%. There's weird things happening now with affiliate marketing, consumer PR. I don't know how much you want me to dive into that craziness, but that's happening. Um, and there are also all these, you know, Forbes councils, Newsweek councils, entrepreneur councils, all of which I'm on, all of which... You can write as many articles as you want, but you have to pay to be on the council. And so is that a paid opportunity? Not really, because you have to get the, you have to have the credibility to get invited. You have to be legitimized in some way. You have way. to be yeah. legitimate to actually get the thing, but do you have to pay for the thing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know. I mean, it's kind, kind of like the Stevie scary. Awards, not the ones that y'all just received, but um, oh, you know, no, the standard. I mean, ABA, no, you so typically you can... have to not uh, different categories are free, but, mm-hmm. um, but no, you have to pay for all the award submissions. It doesn't and devalue. All, and, now, and now the speaking opportunities, if you're not a sponsor at the same conference, yeah. you probably aren't going to get the speaking up. You got 30 seconds. <laughs> We're going to start the music 10 or seconds. Zero. In. They're like, you know, <laughs> or well, zero. We, have, yeah. we usually, they come back now and say, Hey, we have a package for that. Yeah. And if you get a, you know, a $25,000 booth mm. and, you know, perfect that include you know, for 25K, you get a booth, plus you get an ad in the program, plus you get a speaking opportunity on the stage. And it's mm-hmm. so it's, it's gotten blurry. It's gotten blurry. But not I everything is the, that. I noticed at the last conference I went to, I went to the AIJ, AIGA Design Conference in New York, that every speaker was selling a book. <laughs> book every single speaker i have a new book it's in the you lobby have, you have to have a book now <laughs> i mean i started writing a book and then i sort of put it on pause for the moment i need to circle back to it and finish it but it's like you kind of have to write a book and are you going to get paid for that book no <laughs> like that is not people will come to me and they're like i'm going to make all this money on this book i'm like no you're not no you are not i mean you if you're Brene brown yes you will if you are not yeah. Renee Brown, probably not. Probably well, not. Well, we we just I don't know if Trisha told you, but recently we just got headhunted to write a book. Did um, you? And so and so we're not we're not trying the self published route, thank goodness. Um, because I you know, I, I wanna write a book, but I don't wanna write a book and not get paid for it. <laughs> um, so hopefully we're you know, we're busting. It's marketing through that collateral. Mold. 
Yeah. That's all it is. It, it, it's like it's it like is. it's evidence that you're a thought leader. But it's yeah. that's all it is. And it's like almost yeah. a requirement. Yeah. It's like, no, oh I agree. good, you have a LinkedIn account. Oh good, you wrote a book. Cool. I don't need to look at it either. Done. I just need to yeah. know you did it. I yeah. I ain't gonna read that thing. But yeah, that's cool. No. <laughs> that, like, that, oh, wow, she, sure. she won an award and got a, and wrote a book. That's that's let's talk to her. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's yeah. cred. We, and that's Daniel, that's what we've talked about this. Like it's awesome that we got, you know, we are hoping we make some money, but it really is about credibility, right? We're, we're writing a WordPress book. So yeah, I agree. 100%. Um, so interesting. So, all right. So this, that, that was such a great description. Um, how do you feel that blends with digital marketing? what a PR agency does and a marketing agency, digital marketing? Yeah, it's a great question. So one of the things, um, a lot of times when we start working with a client, if we don't do a messaging and branding exercise at the outset, but rather rely on whatever they have already put on their website or their social media channels, it almost always is a disaster. And there are two reasons for that. So one of the reasons it's a disaster is that often their website copy is not up to date and they don't even realize it. And so we've had incidents in the past where before we, I have a new system in place to, to bypass this by always doing the messaging branding exercise at the outset. But we had incidents in the past where it was like, hey, we wrote this press release for you. And they're like, where the hell did you get this information and it's totally wrong. And it's like, your website. Your website. It's on your website. Like we pulled it from your website. It's on the about page. Right. A hundred percent. And then they're, and they're like, oh my God, this is all wrong. And then how do you say, well, then you're up, your website's wrong. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's like so awkward. Right. So we just, we don't do that. The other reason though, that's the problem is that the language in marketing and on your website tends to be more flowery and emotionally driven and sort of um, beautiful, right? So you're putting a lot of colors out there and, and it feels, and you know, like all of the feels, but the evidence of your claims is very rarely included in your marketing copy. I actually think that that's not great. I think it would be better if people in general looked for these things. But what happens is we take that flowery language and we feed it to the skeptical press that asks all of the hardest questions and none of your customers ever will. We're going to look so stupid. So stupid. Because they're going to ask, okay, great. So you're committed to sustainability. What does that mean? What are you doing? Who do you donate money to? Because like, oh, we donate 10% of everything to charity. Okay, what charity? Right. And, and these are the kind I mean, this, those are kind of silly examples, but you'd be surprised the number of companies that have these grand claims. And then when you push them on, OK, cool. So what does that look like that you're dedicated to X, Y, Z? Where is it? Where's the evidence of that? So we can kind of, you know, show and not tell like in good storytelling. Right. You, you're supposed to mm-hmm. with good writing show, don't tell. It's the same with narrative brand narratives. Right. You have to show and not tell. And so. What we do at the outset now is pull apart, okay, great. So how can we show people that you're dedicated to customer service? What do you do that's different? How can we show them that you have best in the class technology? 
what does that look like? What makes you different? <laughs> we need to know all of these things. Um, and so what I would say is that we're doing that for PR purposes so that we don't get skewered when it comes to pitching the reporters who already know what ask all these hard questions are going to ask them. But also if our clients can then use that to do a better job of narrative storytelling, right. <laughs> of, Hey, let's show, don't tell. Then well, and, their and marketing maybe, will be stronger. In theory, that improved content uh, yeah. should improve the it user should. experience on the website because, you know, just because journalists are asking hard questions doesn't mean that readers or visitors or potential client leads aren't yeah. interested in that information. That's why the journalists are asking those hard yeah. questions because it does, it, it does matter. Um, so well, if you, you don't know the number of people that came to your site and bounced out because all they saw was fluff. Yeah. Like, okay, well, tell right. me something that of substantial. I don't, this doesn't say anything. Right. It's like, right. all I hear is blah, blah, blah. When you talk, mm -hmm. all I hear is blah, blah, blah. It's like, what is this? <laughs> I'm pretty sure so that's all my wife hears when I, when I, <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest here. <laughs> She's like, yeah, tell me about work so I can go to sleep. I'm like, dang it. Really? <laughs> Bedtime story. Right. Talk about your day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, we, so one of the things we do on our podcast, April, is we will have um, guests come on. Um, they're usually small, small business owners, and we will look at their websites and give them um, suggestions on how to improve them. Ooh, and it's that. funny. I would say that 90% of the time, our conversations end up being about content management. We, we expected it to be more about technical or, and sometimes it is navigation or layout or, you know, and sometimes, but usually we get stuck on the content management. The, co the content. surprise me. <laughs> right. Well, it's, we it's have... very hard for people to know how to talk about themselves. Yes. And, and people get insecure about it. And a lot of times, um, I think what I find is that it actually highlights their insecurities about whether what they're doing is actually different enough. Because they dig into it and you're like, okay, great. So how are, what are you doing that's actually different from other agencies, right? And in my case, I get to say, hey, we have a point system in place that gamifies retainers so that you know exactly what you're getting for your money and it's commensurate with your budget you're getting. And, you know, I can actually say that, right? Because we're doing something different rather than, um, well, we're just, you know, we're just making sure that like, you know, retainers are appropriate for what the size of the company. So what does that mean? Right? What is that? <laughs> what? what is, how does that, what, that doesn't say anything. So your website content needs to closely match everything you're doing from a PR perspective, really brand in general. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember we had, we had a, um, a guest once who was doing a lot of public speaking events mm. and at the end of her event, she had, you know, like a, a, you know, like a poster up with a QR code, visit my website. So she would, ex right. she explained to us what she would talk about in her, um, you know, her, presentations, but what her website said was something different. You know, so when people go to your website, are they seeing what you just spoke to? Not necessarily. Right. And I, I think that it's really important that people think about the whole picture like that. Yeah. That all that's part, that's brand building all the different pieces um, from what you're doing from a PR spec perspective to the marketing pieces, which is your website to what you're doing on social media. Those all need to, to, to flow together and work together. That's mm -hmm. to, to legitimate, to make you look legit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just like you said, to give you credibility, credibility. Well, and it all needs to have the same look, feel, 
tone story, right? Because so many people are inundated by everything now. And if they don't have the same experience with you at every touch point, they're going to get confused and it's going to turn to fuzz. And then anything you did, let's say that you're, you know, you're working on your website so that it matches the rest of everything. It's like, well, then they're going to go to your website and it's not going to match. And whatever they previously learned, they'll either unlearn or it's all just going to fall flat. Like, you know, a house of cards, right? Down it goes. Yeah. So it is really have consistency to make sure it's all lockstep. Consistency. Yeah. It, it's amazing to me how many people don't know what's on their website. Just like you were talking about, yes. they don't, they even like misspelled words, um, content oh, yeah. that shouldn't be there. And um, people, they forget about it. But my goodness, how many times do you, when, when you go to Google somebody, what do you do? You go to their website. That's one of the first touches, right? Or very often the second touch is the second touch. So yes, that's very, very important. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting. Um, very cool. So more, more, I love this branding conversation. Um, <laughs> so let me ask this then, when you bring in a new client, a new PR client, um, how, like, where do you usually start with that client? Like, how do you get the ball rolling in, in terms of branding? So I do what I call trust analysis with them. And I sit down for a couple of hours with all the keys, you know, decision makers on the, on the client side. Anybody, because sometimes the other thing that can happen is, you know, there's disagreement among them. And if you don't get that out of the way at the meeting at the front, then basically what happens is you become like the child caught between the fighting parents in copy. Yeah. And you're like trying to appease both sides because they're not on the same page about what they want to say. And so what I try to do at the outset now is just have this meeting. Okay. And, and go to the basics. I ask them really basic questions about their competitors, what their mission, their reason for being, you know, what actually makes them different, what proof points do they have of it? Things like that, that, you know, I, I tell them, I mean, there's a caveat, like, I know this is going to seem really basic, but I just don't want to make any assumptions. And I know things can change rapidly. And so what you have already expressed might not match either where you are now or where you want to go. And what we're also going to do as part of this conversation is figure out where do you want the brand to evolve so that our messaging can point and shoot you in that direction rather than just stating where you are now, right? We need to sort of do the grandiose thing carefully. Obviously, you'd want to have the proof points and the examples and the things you're doing or trying to do. But, you know, at the same time, you want to make sure that, you know, this is this is really how we're trying to talk about ourselves and what we want people to know. And that way, when we write a press release, when we pitch a story, we don't get the feedback. Well, this isn't anything we want to talk about. Right. Cause that can happen too. Like you just start pitching stories willy nilly and you don't know what they actually want out there in the marketplace. And then they're like thankless because, okay, you got me this placement, but this isn't anything we want to talk about. And it doesn't help us with, generating sales or leads or whatever it's like oh so we need to get that figured out so what are we trying to say what are the key messages great then from there every single story we're trying to tell every byline article every speaking off every award submission should stem from the same consistent messages obviously it's going to be told in different ways and color in different colors and 
you know, give people different slices and perspectives of the same story, but it all has to come back and map to that, that, you know, roadmap that we, that we created at the outset. We have a very similar way of, um, talking about branding from the digital marketing and designs perspective as well. Uh, there's just a big difference when you have put the, you know, the time into figuring out what the, what, who the customer is and what is it you're trying to, your brand, what are you trying to say? What, who is the customer you're trying to reach and doing that research before we start the design process, yeah. because then you have something to measure with two, right? You, yeah. you know what your goal is and then you can look at what you're creating and, and ask yourself, are, is what I've created going to answer um, that, that question I had yeah. of who is my customer? Um, yeah. And some, sometimes we'll, sometimes we, I think the biggest shock to um, new clients who haven't done that work is that they have to do that work now. They hadn't really thought that through. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be a little bit painful sometimes, <laughs> right? Um, if you totally. haven't done that work before. Um, it's surprising. So, uh, yeah. Well, what I, what I find we, most we, painful is having so many decision makers in the same room. Yeah. And all thinking that they're, yeah. they're, top, they're top dog. It's like, okay, I need one. I need one decision because we got to make a decision. Are we going to really vote every single time? What what's the deal here? Y'all yeah. are telling me five different stories. Which one do I believe? How in the hell do we then translate that out to the world when we've got five different stories and one business? Um mm -hmm. so I, how do you navigate that? <laughs> we're, we're speaking from some experience here i mean we all do this right <laughs> um i'm getting over a cold and somehow that just like that question just brought it all back to the surface <laughs> like oh, i'm sick all over again just thinking about that um so it's very difficult you can't necessarily come out and say that but what you can say is you know why don't you collectively get us your feedback. So one thing we do to, to bypass that issue is that we have a set number of edits that can be made on any written material. And then if you go over those edits, it's not a problem, but we do charge an extra point. So like I was, I was alluding to earlier, we have this point system for retainers. So every activity we do has certain point allocations assigned to it you get those points to spend every month. We can roll them over. We can borrow them, whatever. Like it's flexible ish, but that way we make sure we aren't over servicing and also that they're actually getting their money's worth rather than, well, this client's happy enough. We got them enough placements. Let's shift all our focus to this other client that's struggling. Cause that's gross. I don't like that. We did that a lot at bigger agencies um, that I worked at previously. So that helps a little bit. Cause you can say, I see, Hey, I see that you got your edits in. To our Google Doc, it, are the rest of the team's edits in the Google Doc? Because we want to just make sure that we make them all at once, so that we, when we use your edit, you know that it's we're maximizing the use of the edits of our time to make sure we're like doing it all at mm -hmm. once, right? So that's one way. Um, when it comes to the actual meeting, it's more of being diplomatic and how you navigate the voices in the room. And also partly deciding who everyone else seems to have subconsciously agreed is the final vote. 
because it's not always the person you think. But if you can identify the prima donna in the room and go, okay, this is the person that we're appeasing as a group. Like this is the, the diva, right? This mm-hmm. is like the Meryl Streep and Devil Wears Prada. Like this is the person, right? Like this is the person everyone's scared of. And then you just realize, okay, cool. This is the default voice. Even if yeah. they're not the CEO, it's could be the wife of the CEO. It could be the daughter of like, you don't know until yeah. you get in the room, but then it's just a matter of using like emotional intelligence and, you know, micro expressions and things like that. And like analyzing. Okay. So. Anna Wintour that's, is over here. Got that's, it. That's where I, I feel very, very fortunate to have Trisha because I just, lose my patience and I just want to, I just want to like, okay, I'm done. Mel. Or I want to get really mean. It, it, it's a little <laughs> bit like being a therapist. Like, it's like a little bit like being a therapist for people, oh, yeah. like for a group without letting them know that's that that's what you're yeah. doing. Well, and this especially, especially applies to branding because branding is so personal and they're right. It's very so personal. personal. It's not as a designer. I always say, designing somebody's logo is the hardest thing a designer does because there are so many feelings. It's, it's a, it's a mark that represents you or your company or all your hard work, or it's very personal. And so it can be very challenging to, um, to get feedback or try to point a client in a certain direction without making them feel personally attacked. Right. There's an art to that. Oh, it's um, hard. It can be very difficult. Well, and there and there are cases where you know, and I've had clients where we kind of ended up needing to part ways because they had conflicting. I had one, and I don't want to name names or give details, but there was one that went through some M and A adjacent activity, and as a result, ended up with sort of two people that were not often or ever on the same page. Yeah. Whose opinions were supposed to be taken at equal weight. And it, it was, it felt like being gaslit for the entirety mm-hmm. of the contract. Because mm-hmm. you'd hear one thing and you'd do it and it was like, this is, this is all wrong. And they'd be like, okay, so this person wants this. But then it would like the other person would hate it. This is all wrong. Or the one person would like it temporarily, but the other person would sort of like poop on it. And then the person A would decide that they don't no longer liked it, even though the feedback was initially, it was like, I need to exit this help. Like, this is crazy. (laughs) Again, it's just, it's just the emotional attachment that people have to branding. Branding, it's just very difficult. It's very difficult to navigate. Yeah. Yes. So, um, April... As we're nearing the end of today's incredibly insightful conversation that's taken many different uh, lanes and tracks, um, I'd love (laughs) to ask you one final question that I I think our listeners, viewers would benefit from. And it's that if you could leave them with just one piece of advice, a key takeaway or a golden nugget of wisdom from your incredibly vast experience in, in public relations and strategic communications, what would that be? What's the one thing you wish someone had told you earlier in your career or a guiding principle that you think every digital marketer yeah. or PR professional should remember? I would say you have to do what you say before you can say what you do. 
And so this is the thing that I was getting at before the trust relations and them, you know, you have all these value propositions and you have all these, you need to have the substantiating proof points. You can't just go out and say that you're the next best thing in XYZ or that you have the most XYZ thing. You have to do it first. So once you do it, then you can say it. But there is no way that you can just anymore. It used to be the case people were gullible. They'd believe it. This is not today. Like This is almost that, 2024. That is not so, where we are. That's so applicable across the board. I mean, that's your show, don't tell and storytelling, right? But that's also yes. parenting yes. parenting 101. You can tell me you're you're going to clean up, pick up your socks, but... Until you start picking up your socks, I'm not going to know that you're going to pick up your socks. So let's pick up the socks first yes. and then we can have a talk about you're going to do it from now on. Right. Um, yeah, that's that's brilliant, brilliant advice and and brilliant in its simplicity. Right. Uh, I really think that that's fantastic. Um, Trisha, you have anything else you want to add before we wrap I was Daniel. Do you see why April and I got along? <laughs> we 100%. really. I mean, yeah. we yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah, we think alike, and um, I'm so glad that I was that I met you. I'm glad that we ended up sitting next to each other. I know doing that. It was it was funny. We were we were both like really nervous that we'd have to like no. What are we going to speak in our interviews? And <laughs> you know, it was really fun um, that we ended up meeting at that, well, at that event. And I feel, um, thank you so much for being our podcast guest. I feel very, very fortunate that the two of y'all met. Um, and April, uh, just speaking to you for this last 55 minutes and change, um, you are an expert. And it is clear to me Aww. that whoever hires your agency has made an excellent decision. So kudos to oh, you so and sweet. all of your actors. Aw, you're so sweet. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the We Rock DM podcast. We hope you found our discussions on digital marketing and web design and development helpful and informative. Don't forget to follow us on social media and subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on the latest trends and strategies in the world of online business. We'll see you in the next episode of We Rock DM, where we make kick-ass stuff Kick ass.